Welcome, listeners, to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as per the usual, is my main man, Kales. Good evening. Kales, let's get right into it. So we have a few movies to talk about, and then we're going to hit you guys with some streaming recommendations again, like we did a few weeks ago. Seems to be a fun thing to do. Kales and I watch so many movies every week. I mean, probably... 10 to 12, I would say, each every single week. And while many of those are definitely going to be new releases and movies of this year, we like to get our rewatches in and we like to both explore movies that we haven't seen uh, before and kind of fill in those blind spots. So it's always fun to throw out some of those as well. Well, the first one we're going to talk about is a film that I don't know if it got its premiere at Sundance Coalesce, but I know that it played at Sundance. So, I mean, I'm guessing if you play at Sundance, that's probably going to be your premiere, I would think. Uh, and that <laughs> film is called Land, not to be mistaken with Nomad Land. This is actually a no Nomad Land. Uh, Land. It is stars Robin Wright and Damien Bashir, who you may know from The Hateful Eight. If you see him, you'll realize that he looks familiar and you'll wonder where you know him from. That's where it is. It is the directorial debut as well of Robin Wright, and it is written by Jesse Chatham and Aaron Dignam. What's it about? A bereaved woman seeks out a new life off the grid in Wyoming. It's that simple. All right, Colossus, what did you like about this one? Once a good actor, always a good actor. Robin White Green has been in the industry for a long time, and she's proven herself to be a great lead. And she's clearly invested in this film. Even though she's also directing it, she's also putting together effort through her acting. It's a very hard role to play, you know, having to play somebody who's going through trauma and pain and emotional reckoning. It can be very it can be very easy to fall into certain tropes, certain stereotypes, certain cliche ways of showing that trauma and showing how a person is getting through and working through it. But she does a great job with this film. I love the cinematography. I will never not get tired of seeing films that showcase the wide beauty of nature. Because with us, we're we're mostly all living in the urban population. We're mostly living near cities or in the city. So often we don't see too many films that deal with nature itself. You know, before there were cities and towns, we lived on the ground. We planted things. We hunted for food. And we didn't need all of the extra necessities that come with modern consumerism lifestyle that we have now. And it's great to see a film that celebrates that. I also like that and it's also going to be one of my nitpicks when we get to what I didn't like but I did like the message that it does bring along overall that dealing with trauma is not something that we can run away from we have to deal with it head on if we don't deal with it head on it's going to haunt us forever we could travel a thousand miles we can try to forget things that happen but the brain doesn't work that way the brain holds on to bad events in our life that's naturally how it is so it's best that we just deal with trauma we deal with that pain we try to move on and make the best of the rest of our life or we let us eat us alive and i'm glad that the film dealt with that yeah i would agree i really do enjoy the theme of the movie which is this person who's experienced grief which we won't give away what that is Um, you will find out in the film but it pretty much is at the end so (laughs) you kind of have to put those pieces together for yourself it's a way of which it showcases a way in which someone is dealing with 
a difficult situation. And it's not something that's new. That's the thing is we've seen movies about people who go off into the wild before. And I actually like that. It reminds me a lot of something like Into the Wild uh, in ways, maybe towards the end of Into the Wild, where he's in Alaska living by himself off the beaten path and just essentially challenging himself to live off of the land and learn to hunt and obviously, unfortunately, eat the wrong berries. But that's what she does in this film. And in challenging herself, it's almost like at times you wonder if she has a death wish because she's unprepared. She's prepared to an extent, but she's also inherently unprepared because she comes from an urban setting like you or I. So it would be like you or myself reading a book about how to survive in the wild and then driving our butt off into the woods and seeing how it goes. Right. And so that she's going to face maybe some cliche or what you would expect for challenges with weather she you know she faces challenges with animals wild animals and such and i really didn't have a problem with that is what i'm saying i know that some folks will consider this derivative but i actually enjoyed that it was a tight story about that and it really didn't get lost in other minutiae like that's the story it told um like you, I really enjoy the scan, uh, landscapes and the beautiful, beautiful cinematography. I, I'm always going to be drawn to that as well. The outdoorsy nature made me want to get back into hiking. I haven't done a lot of hiking in the last year because of COVID. I typically do. I'm hoping that 2021 will be able to let me see, uh, get back out on the trails here in Washington State. This was actually shot in Alberta, Canada. So if you knew that, or now that you know that, maybe we could boost the tourism a little bit because it is beautiful. I mean, she goes to this secluded cabin out in this mountainous and wooded area, man. It was, it was just absolutely gorgeous. It's the kind of place I'd want to go for a weekend. I wouldn't want to go live there though. You know, um, I also really like the friendship that becomes kind of the central relationship in this film. So without giving away too much, we mentioned Damien Bashir is in the film. There will come a point in the story where he is going to interact with, the character of Edie, who is the woman who's gone off into the woods. And the way in which the story reveals why he is so caring to her, why he goes out of his way to help her, and how his presence, not only in teaching her how to accomplish things, but in just allowing her to grieve and being there for her, shows the way in which we should maybe think about how to interact with people in our own lives who are experiencing trauma and grief. Um, and, and I really appreciated that and I love their relationship and it hit me so hard by the end of this movie. Um, I was just kind of floored emotionally speaking by the buildup to a certain point in the film where their relationship just became something really special for me. Uh, one of the better ones I've seen in the last several months at least. So yeah, I liked a whole lot about this. I also think the score is really, really good. It's understated, um, but it is, it's kind of orchestral in a lot of places. And I just think it matched the majesty of the landscapes really well. So nitpicks, you mentioned nitpicks, Coles. What did you not like about this one? It waits a long time to really let you in on what is haunting Edie. 
and even what's haunting Miguel because you talked about their friendship and how they're able to connect and it really shows that towards the end but in the beginning you're kind of wondering okay what do these people what is their kinship like what is their chemistry what is really bringing them together and you don't really get that until the last scene which I will admit is very powerful and it brought the film full circle for me but they the story just waits way too long to get to that point and like you said before in your likes you know the film is kind of derivative i mean it's the same story that you see about a person who's gone through some trauma and they're trying to fight their they're trying to make their way out of it you know we've seen it millions and millions of times before not really a critique but like you said it's just a nitpick for me and also for me the shortness i mean i would say that this would be a positive but I kind of wanted to see more. I kind of wanted to see a little bit more backstory into Edie. I wanted to see more development into her character because while Robin Wright Green has a great performance, her character doesn't really offer too much. It's almost a mystery trying to crack her, which may be purposeful, but I want a little bit more for her. I want a little bit more for Miguel because by the end, you know, they have a deep connection with each other, but they're not really established enough as characters for me to really care that much. That's fair. I think that that's fair. And because it waits kind of till half of a very short movie that is already, you know, cut, cut off, you're going to run into that where you don't get a lot of development of the relationship mm-hmm. um, because it's most of the movie or half or more of the movie is just her, the Martian style on her own trying to survive. Um, and so I can, I totally understand that. I think, it does play into some cliches of very lucky breaks for a person in order to heighten the drama and the stakes that Edie experiences with regards to how she gets through this situation. There are moments where I think reality would set in and she doesn't get through this probably at least two or three times, but because it's a movie and we need her to move forward in the film throughout the length of it, Things happen in order to successfully push that forward. And so you do need to suspend a little bit of your realistic authenticity brain cells uh, to accompany the fact that it is, you know, fiction and it's meant to tell a story and it's meant to entertain to some standpoint. It's not a documentary. And <laughs> uh, and this is not the way that everybody should go about trying to deal with their grief because it's not going to end the way that it does for Edie. So that was a little bit of a letdown for me. And then the other thing I would say, my only real nitpick is I really love this film, but I will admit that in hindsight, and this can happen, it does not have anything memorable about it. And and I find myself, this is one of the hardest things with my own personal rating skill, rating skill, rating scale, Coles, is that <laughs> for me, memorable is part of what makes like a four and a five star movie for me. So it sets movies apart from the rest. And you don't know that in the moment when you've watched the movie memorable by definition means you've got to get away from it for a little while, you know? And I've seen that there's nothing in this that I can be like, Oh man, I remember this one awesome scene. I remember the impact of the ending emotionally But like, I don't remember any specific moments that are really special that stick out as memorable. And so I would consider that probably on the dislike side for me. That's the thing for me 
when I'm looking to rate a film, there's a difference between a three star and a four star for me. Three star is like, okay, it's very good. And if it comes on TV sometime or one way or another, I'm going to sit down and watch it no matter where it it starts or begins. But I kind of don't care where it starts. I kind of just want to see it for what it is. And four stars, like, okay, like, this is a must watch. This is something I'll be like, I have to grab somebody in the street and be like, hey, go watch this right now. And with this film, like you said, it's, it has no scene that really jumps out at you. There's nothing that is really calling for you to come back. Once you get that ending, then it's like, oh, okay. And then the next two days, you you maybe have some fitness in your head about it, but you won't feel the urgency to really go back and rewatch it or even to strongly recommend it to somebody. Um, I would say for anybody who wants to watch this, like, watch it, but remember that it's not going to be something that's, going to be pressing for a rewatch anytime soon (laughs) yeah you're you're hitting it perfectly i rate very similar to you same thing that separates me in the three and the four range and so i think you know i kind of came away from this with a four star feeling and it's really come back down to being a really strong three star feeling to me and and i i don't even know why we're talking stars and numbers Mm because that doesn't matter as much as words we're saying here matter i love this movie i'm feeling it i recommend it heartedly to everyone, probably a little more so even than you do. I think it's absolutely worth seeing. I think the craft is there. I love directorial debuts, and it's great to be able to see someone step out like Robin Wright and like show that she can have a talent as a director as well as an actor. So um, I definitely am feeling it, though. You recommend it? Oh, I'm feeling it. Okay. Thought so. Uh, availability. This one will be in select theaters as of February the 12th, if you would like to check it out. Next up, just in time for Valentine's Day, is The Map of Tiny Perfect Thing, a movie that I had Coles watch even though he's not particularly a fan of rom-coms. So this one stars Catherine Newton, Kyle Allen, Jermaine Harris, Anna Mikami, Josh Hamilton, and Cleo Frazier. I'll tell you right now, Josh Hamilton's role is like super tiny, so if you're, you notice that name and you know who he is and he's awesome, but he's not got a big role in this. Uh, it is directed by Ian Samuels and is written by author... Lev Grossman, who is responsible for the very well-received book series, The Magicians. What's it about? The film tells the story of quick-witted teen Mark, who is contentedly living the same day in an endless loop, whose world is turned upside down when he meets mysterious Margaret, also stuck in the same time loop. Mark and Margaret form a magnetic partnership, setting out to find all the tiny things that make one perfect day. What follows is a love story with a fantastical twist as the two struggle to figure out how and whether or not to escape their never-ending day. All right, Kales. I know that you almost balked a little bit when I, not at this one, but we, we had kind of floated the idea of rom-coms before and you were like, oh, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll watch anything, but they're not my favorite genre. So I'm a little nervous, but how did this work for you? Yes, rom-coms can be difficult for me, Because for me, comedy, it has to be excellent for me to even be interested because my sense of humor is that you got to hit me on your first try. If you can't hit me on the first try, then I start to get very disinterested. And that's what a lot of romantic comedies have been for me. There have been a few, like Friends with Benefits. Um, I would say there's not not too many, but Friends with Benefits is a notable one that I can think of right now. I can say that with this one, you shouldn't be shrouding in fear. I really liked it. 
it it had the same feeling to me that Palm Springs did when I watched it last year because I came into there not expecting to really enjoy it but I came away enjoying the elements of it and this feels like this is a Palm Springs for the young adult teenage generation I mean it has good humor it has great fantasy elements it has some nice needed drama in there and it has romance in there between these two teenagers who are on the cusp of being adulthood, but they're trapped inside this one day, like a Groundhog Day situation, which is funny because I've never seen Groundhog Day. Oh, my but, friend, but seen, my uh, friend, you just said this. And it's, these films deal with that same time anomaly. I can't, you I can't say, take that back. You huh? just said it. It's in the universe now. The whole world now knows that you've not seen Groundhog Day. Uh, yes. We got to fix that. <laughs> we got to fix that. The whole I mean, we should have fixed it on Groundhog Day. Reverse. Like Groundhog Day just happened. We should have fixed it then. Anyway, <laughs> you have homework. I'll yeah. let you continue. The universe would be reversed if I told everybody what films I hadn't seen yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. But for me, the great thing about these films is not necessarily within the romance or the comedy aspects, but figuring out how people are going to work themselves out of a time travel anomaly. I really love the scene towards the end of the film where they're showing these, where they're showing Margaret and they're showing. I'm trying to think of what the guy's name was, his character's name. Yes, when they're showing Mark and Margaret and they're figuring out, okay, what do we need to do to break ourselves out of this anomaly? And I really love those scenes because it presents a challenge and I love seeing problem solving in film. It it makes the stakes a little bit more higher and it also makes the time travel a lot more entertaining to process. It's not something you have to think about too hard. It's very simple and – it's just very delightful to watch. I I found myself really loving the message that it brings along as well about appreciating the day in and day out chaos of life because both of these lead characters, they talk about it. They talk, we're stuck in the same day. We're kind of living with being able to do what we want, but we're not exactly growing. We're not exactly accelerating to a new level. We're kind of just stuck in a loop. And it had me thinking about how some of us live life on a routine basis where nothing extraordinary or different happens. We're just stuck on a loop doing the same thing over and over again. It can be very demoralizing and we can feel worthless doing that. And this film shows us that we have to find the tiny perfect things that are around us. We have to, we have to appreciate, you know, showing compassion to a stranger or seeing, um, different things that we've never seen before, doing things we haven't done before. You know, not just waiting for a time anomaly to make that happen, but making use of that every day. And this film was wonderful for bringing that message along, especially for young people who need it. Yep. I'm so glad that you liked it. So, so glad because it really surprised me and landed very well. And I'll admit I'm a mark for this stuff. No pun intended for the character's name. I love young adult rom-coms and and drama stories that hinge on a movie that has a ton of witty, snappy dialogue that is intelligently written, and that is what we see here. It feels a lot like a John Green-type novel where the characters... Luckily, these are not teenagers, so we're not watching kid kids. I think we're watching like college kids. Mark is an art student. So I like that about it because it kind of elevates it up. It gives it a little bit more honesty where these same actors you might see normally in older films playing high schoolers and it wouldn't quite feel like it fit. But here you get a little bit better feeling about it because they're actually adults 
or young adults. Um, so I like that. The characters themselves, I just love their personalities. Mark, specifically, he is super smart. He is super fun. He's nimble, quick on his feet. He's caring. He's considerate. Like, there's not a lot that's bad about him. And I think that there's not a lot that's bad about either of these characters. And I enjoyed that quite a bit, too. So there's they don't have to have, like, some major character flaw that has to be overcome. Which, granted, can make dramatic you know, interest in movies, but like, I didn't need that in this one. I do think that it is a PG kind of inoffensive version of Palm Springs. And it's, it was made before Palm Springs was, you know, releasing. So, I mean, it's not like it was like a response to Palm Springs just so happens that coming out the year after that movie, six, seven months after that movie, people are going to make the comparison. My comparison is simply that this is awesome. I love good stories that are time loops and bring it on, whether it's Happy Death Day or Palm Springs or the Mapatani Perfect things. If you can execute it well, dude, I'm here for that. I love these tropes, figuring out what makes the perfect day, finding a connection with another person that helps break you out of an isolation. That's kind of what you were talking about. Those themes that people can see in these characters and take away for their own life, the good reminder to pay attention to these moments that are happening that we just zoom by because it's just another day. It's just, it's just another minute in our lives and we're on to the next thing. We don't even pause and stop to notice things. But if you were to rewatch and relive a day over and over, you would see so many opportunities that you didn't take. And I, I think that that's awesome to always have in the back of your mind. Right. And, and this movie reminds us of that. And then it's, Great, great chemistry. I think that the chemistry between the two leads is super important. I like the fact that they aren't movie stars yet. So I don't even know the male actor. I can't put him in anything immediately. Catherine Newton, I know from Detective Pikachu. She was the lead actress in that. But really, she hasn't had a major starring role either. And I believe that that helps this movie quite a bit. It makes it feel more authentic to me. If you had put two actors that were like, you'd put like a Timothy Chalamet and a, you know, Saoirse Ronan or whoever in this same story, it wouldn't have worked because they would have had this gravitas about them that we would have come in with expectations and like predisposition of their other characters we'd seen them play. And instead, I just got lost in who these two characters were. The map itself, the titular map of Tiny Perfect Things, it's a sickly sweet <laughs> cliche thing that I ridiculously loved. It was like this, I'm 100% moved by gestures like that personally. And I think that it fit really well in this movie because it was created by an art student. So it's an expression of his personal, his character development and the person that he is in the film. And then Margaret also has a, a little backstory that sort of serves as a mystery throughout the film. And boy, when you find out what is fueling margaret's specific way of going through this day over and over it's a gut punch um and it is it's a powerful gut punch that many folks will be able to relate to big time i think and so i, I loved it i loved everything about it i'll just say my dislikes right up front these are only nitpicks and i honestly they're not really that big of a nitpick for me personally but i would say these are the things that i noted that maybe some viewers might not enjoy as much as I did. 
It's very simplistic filmmaking. There's nothing flashy about this. There's no real special effects going on. It's usually just the two lead characters in a location talking. <laughs> Different locations to keep it interesting, but it's just them. There's very minimal supporting character interactions. Mark has a friend that he continually goes back to throughout each day that he repeats who is a gamer. And I really enjoyed that little brief, quirky side story. But they're far and few between. I mean, it really is just these two characters for the most of the movie. Also, it does fall into the cliche of self-awareness and referencing other time loop films that can possibly have an inadvertent effect of making this feel like a lesser version of some of them. So it's like calling attention to movies like Ground. It literally name drops like Groundhog's Day. But if you, like, Groundhog Day, for example, is in my top 50 of all time. So when I hear that, and I'm like, uh, you can't really intentionally, in the movie, compare yourself to this thing. Because you're not there yet. Then I could see that turning some people off. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, again, it, like, visually speaking, it's pretty. It's crisp or whatever, but there's nothing special about it. It looks like a movie you just see on the Hallmark Channel or something. You know, it has a more of a... More of a, I think, heightened feel than that, but not a ton more. So those are like my potential nitpicks. But yeah, I'm all about this one. What did uh, what did you have that you didn't like about it? My nitpick would depend on the perspective that a viewer comes in with the film. For me, once I saw that we were going to um, watch and review it, I immediately suspended any preconceived notions about the film being a young adult film because when you're an adult and you see these young teenage adult films, you have to understand that they're marketing the film towards younger people, not exactly you. So while me, I may sometimes cringe at some of the humor it does, like there is a joke in the film where the dad is talking about, oh, these dreams he's having, these dreams he's doing, and why he, and the son is like, well, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? And then the son's like, oh, you should just bought a Tesla, dad. You should just bought a Tesla. I was like, oh, th like those kind of quirky little moments, they, they don't jive with me very well because it's obvious pop culture reference in use for comedy. But you also got to understand, too, you can't take life too seriously, you know, watching these kind of films. I mean, there are films in this genre ilk that we have seen that are really bad, <laughs> but this is not one of them. It does pretty well in the arena that it's in, and I didn't find too much to not like about it. Um, I think it's very, very good. And I hope that a lot of people more than just young teenagers will actually give it a shot. Yeah, so we're both feeling it, clearly. It will be available streaming on Amazon Prime Video on February 12th. It's one of those films that's just going straight to your TV. So you don't even have to venture out into a theater. It is perfectly right there in time for Valentine's Day weekend. And it would be a good one to check out, I think, for couples or anyone, really, who's looking for something romantic and fun to watch for the holiday. Well, the next film was one that, unfortunately, we couldn't get uh, both of us to because I had a Blu-ray copy to review. This is a movie. It is called, uh, let's see, what is it called? It is called Zhang Zia, and I'm going to pronounce it correctly one time, and then I will pronounce it incorrectly a bazillion times after that. But it's called Zhang Zia, essentially, and it is a prequel to the international blockbuster Neza, from 2019, and it is the second chapter in the magical Ting Shen cinematic universe. This comes from China. It is directed by Ting Ching and Li Wei. What is it about? 
to earn his place amongst the gods celestial army commander zhang xia must vanquish a terrifying fox demon threatening the very existence of the mortal realm after learning the creature's fate is tied to that of a young girl zhang xia disobeys heaven's edict and spares the demon resulting in his banishment to the mortal realm ten years later he is given one more chance to complete the task and zhang xia must decide is joining the ranks of the heavens worth the price of one innocent life this is an animated film uh in china it is actually called legend of deification so if you go looking for it like on letterboxd or something you have to look up that title not zhang xia which is the title of the blu-ray disc that i got um for me i, I had seen the previous film uh neza uh, a couple years ago and it is a very beautiful film with striking animation that leans much more childlike. Um, there's got a lot more humor in that one. It's got fart jokes. It's got actual kid is one of the main characters, like a child, child, toddlerish, uh, a couple of kids actually. And so I liked that one a lot. This movie, it is set in the same universe and it is not really tied to the previous film. So I'll start off really with this. This ends up being a dislike because the problem with a shared universe, what they're trying to do here is create a Marvel-like situation. China really wants a franchise like that. And this animated series of movies was potentially going to be that. It is based off of a series of or it, it, it's the story is comes from a book called Investi investiture of the gods it is a 16th century novel that revolves around the fall of the shang dynasty and the rise of the Zhu dynasty around a thousand bce it features a bunch of myths it features a bunch of deities gods monsters and popular legends so essentially what this universe is doing is taking different stories from it and then putting them to the screen. But the characters aren't like crossing over, at least in not the first two at all. And so I'll admit, knowing these were connected, I was kind of expecting that. And it was a little bit of a letdown for me to realize these are two unique kind of stories and mythologies that I had to feel like I was relearning uh, from the start. That being said, it's very interesting mythology. It is just incredibly complex, and there's not always a ton of explanation in backstory in a way that gets you ready to kind of engage with it. If you're a Westerner and you're not familiar with this, it also follows heavily Taoist philosophy, and that's not something that I'm super familiar with. So some of the sociological and religious ideas and philosophical ideas that were being played with here uh, I, I had to kind of look at them differently because it's not what i'm used to seeing it's not a bad thing it's just something you have to know that you're going to be kind of dealing with it's a very dark story like very serious minor amount of humor just enough um the main character ends up hooking up with hooking up that's probably the wrong word i was going to say with a young child a young girl that doesn't sound right but he ends up linking up with a young girl who's also been banished and has her own issues of being an outcast in the world and has to go through, it's almost like a road movie through a mystical, mythological lands. 
the animation is the standout here. It, it is so crisp. It is so beautiful. It starts off with this prologue that has like 2D hand-drawn, just gorgeous, gorgeous animation. And then it transitions into 3D CGI for the rest of it. And it is like leap and bounds better than its predecessor film. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And what it does is it's, in my opinion, it makes up for verbal storytelling and background with just immersive visual nature of the story. You can see so much going on that you just, you can feel what's happening without really necessarily understanding every single thing about every character, if that makes sense. Um, it's full of exciting fight animation. It's got fun and quirky, you know, creatures and magic usage. Uh, it is, yeah, it's got a great soundtrack, an absolutely beautiful soundtrack, and it has an excellent English audio track on the disc as well. At, so does Neza. I think this is something that I'm really happy about coming from some of the animation in the East is when we get quality dubs right off the bat. I don't even, I wouldn't even know if I'd call this a dub because it's not really being done over. It's, it's just its own recording of the film, only it's in English and it sounds like it was always meant to be that way, which is great. So I really, really like this movie. Um, it's an animated film that I don't know that a lot of people are going to see. So I'm going to champion it pretty hard throughout the year. Hopefully get some eyeballs on it. it does have its fair share of hurdles to get into it, I think, but uh, it's worth the extra work, in my opinion, to engage with this one. And I hope that people get around to doing it. I'll throw out that extra plug that our friend Josh Berkey from Victims and Villains reviewed this on his website. He's got an excellent review. If you go to the Victims and Villains website, you can read it. Um, and he basically felt literally almost exactly the same way I did about it. So we both are pretty big fans of the movie while acknowledging that you're going to have to come to it and you might have to do a little work if you're a Westerner expecting a typical Disney experience, but that it is worth that effort. This is on digital Blu-ray and DVD as of February the 9th. And the first film that I've mentioned in the Fingxing uh, Cinematic Universe, Neza, is actually now streaming on Netflix if you want to catch up with that one. Well, last but not least, Coles, we're going to just drop a couple of uh, real quick uh, streaming recommendations. What have you got for the people? So first one I have up is Steven Soderbergh's 2011 action thriller, Haywire. I, on a whim, on a random Saturday afternoon, just took a chance on this. And for me, action films really only need to do one thing simple. Just show me great fighting, great explosions, great gun battles, intensity. Just give me that and I'm good to go. It doesn't need to be anything Oscar-worthy or anything complex. Just give me those simple ingredients and I'm good. And this one delivered. Steven Soderbergh has a way of um, being procedural with his films. The the films I've seen of him, he has a good way of just making sure he doesn't let them go on too long or doesn't even let them feel like they're too short. They're just the right amount of time. And this action film was the same way. He was able to make Gina Carano a viable action star. <laughs> I mean, she's not hired in this film to for her acting because the one nitpick I have about this film is that her acting is kind of dull and she has no personality. And these are the same complaints I've heard from people from her character on The Mandalorian, which I haven't seen yet, but that's what I heard. But in this film, she does what she does best. She, she can do the stunts. She can do the fight choreography. She can do 
She could take the hits and it's great and very invigorating to watch. Um, I love the score by David Holmes. It felt like a nod and a throwback to the 1970s action thrillers, like spy and espionage films. And it's very short too. So you won't have to worry about being there too long. I think it's under a hundred minutes or I think 95 minutes. Um, it's on Netflix. It's going to leave there by the end of the month. So if you are interested in watching this, get there quickly. Last one I had was a recent one I just did today, Shutter Island by Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. I had seen this film when it first came out in February 2010, but it had been a decade since it had passed on, so I wasn't able to remember most of the details about it. But it's a dark and disturbing psychological thriller, not really horror, because most of the aspects are dealing with mental health and the way that we treat people who are in institutions and also the way that we can sometimes deal with trauma as far as being able to become so delusioned and not accepting what is reality and then creating a new fantasy life for us to live where we don't have to face those issues. And that's what we see from Leonardo DiCaprio's character in this film. And this is one of his best performances I've seen from him. Not among the highest height. This is not something I could put towards Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Titanic or even The Departed, but it's a great Leo performance. And Scorsese, he's been able to do any genre imaginable. If you want a comedy movie, he can do that. If you want a social commentary, he can do that. If you want a thriller, he can do that. If you want even signs of action, he can do that as well. And he makes the film very creepy by the use of a very ghostly score. The way the cinematography is very dark. It's not very lit. And when it does get bright, it's very overexposed to the point where it's kind of hard to watch. But it's mimicking the effects that this character named Teddy is going through. He is sent on this island to look for a missing girl that escaped from a state institution. But he eventually finds himself in this maze where he's unable to really figure out what's going on. He feels that there is something more sinister going on, on this island under the guise of this psychiatrist who is saying that he's found a new way to deal with the mentally ill. He's found a new method, but the method that Leonardo DiCaprio's character is suspecting it's something more dark. But there's a there's a nice, nice, nice little sleight of hand that happens towards the end of the film, which might hurt some people's reaction to this film, but for me, it worked very well. It's on Netflix as well, and I would say if you are a big fan of Scorsese, a big fan of Leo, and even Mark Ruffalo, because he finds himself in this film as well, then definitely give it a watch. And if you've already seen it, episode 246, we covered it last <laughs> August with our friend Zoheb Ali from the Midnight Double Feature Podcast. Uh, so if you've seen it, you need to come check out that episode because it was fantastic. And Zoheb brought the fire. It's one of Patrick and I's favorite episodes from last year that we did. I haven't seen Haywire. So there you go. I'll throw out my own like blind spot. <laughs> I think mine's less egregious than Groundhog's Day, but uh, <laughs> it is a blind spot nonetheless. Well, my recommendation is a film that just kind of stealth dropped on Netflix the other day. I've actually been on a Netflix binge recently. I watched like three or four of them new ones today, and I liked quite a bit of them. So I'm just going to plug both of our Letterboxd accounts. If you want to know what we're watching on a regular basis, follow us there. Mine's Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, and Kales is Black Nerd Magic. So if you follow us on Letterboxd, you'll be able to track all these movies that we're watching and our feelings as we go. But the one that stuck out the most 
was this movie called Space Sweepers. <laughs> and I was like, okay, there's another Netflix movie that is about space, and it's just some dumb, terrible, poor CGI invention that they throw out there because they're trying to pump out like quantity over quality. But let me tell you, after having a couple people that I trust recommend it to me, I went ahead and gave it a shot. And this is a movie that they made just for me, I guess, and some other people. But like, I feel like they reached into my brain and were like, oh, Aaron would like this, 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 this. Yeah, we'll just do all that. I was blown away by this. Um, it is not a dissimilar feeling from the one I would say I got when watching the Korean film Train for Busan. I, I take it back. It's definitely not the same emotional feeling I get from watching that movie. But what that movie did for the zombie genre for Korean film, it kind of creatively infused drama and heart in a way that we weren't used to seeing in that genre. Spaceship Sweepers, Space, space Sweepers, sorry, it, it was originally titled Spaceship Victory, and I get that confused. It has the same kind of impact on the science fiction adventure epic. It is Korea's first ever space blockbuster, and they knocked it out of the park. So I think that's really cool. There's basically nothing I don't love about this film. It is a story that harkens back to such greats as Cowboy Bebop, Firefly, and The Expanse. If those things I just mentioned are things that you love, you need to watch this movie. It's that simple. It is about a band of outlaw space junk traders who find a young girl after a space shuttle crash, and they realize that she is potentially this highly sought-after dangerous robot weapon. <laughs> and so they try to ransom her, of course, because they need to take care of their financial problems. It is maybe the best I've ever seen at being a live-action anime. And I say that, please don't let that turn you off. It really does it in an amazing way. I mean that the villain feels anime. He's like exaggerated in that way, but not in a way that is out of place in this world. Everybody has tons of personality, and I grew really attached to the crew during their journey. This villain is a billionaire scientist. He is played by the amazing Richard Armitage, my beloved Thorin Oakenshield. And it hurt me to watch him be this horrible person who wants to make a human colony on Mars and thinks that Earth and its billions of residents are expendable. Uh, it, it has this broad world building about this movie that is happening outside of its little specific story within the characters and this, this robot girl. Um, and it makes it, I think, ripe for exploration further in some sort of expanded universe, but it doesn't try to set one up. It doesn't specifically end with a cliffhanger or force its way to do that. It's just such an interesting and well-developed universe that it makes you want to know more about what was going on in the universe, even if the story doesn't directly tell you, hey, we you need to see this. It has a wonderful score. The costumes and production design are top-notch. The visual effects, <laughs> this is the thing. When you go into a Netflix movie, you expect everything to be okay except the visual effects. And usually that's like the one thing that you're always like, this sucks. Dude, I'm mad I didn't get to see this in IMAX or something. The visual effects are phenomenal. Like, top-notch CG. It's, it's gorgeous. It looks awesome. It has everything you could want. It has your quiet human moments. It's got jaw-dropping galactic dogfights. 
with like fleets of different spaceships attacking each other. It's got explosions. It's got hand to hand martial arts. Uh, it is awesome. Like I wanted a 4K copy of this instantaneously so bad. I'm hoping that they make one. And I went to my awards tracker and just started like putting it in every category for SFC award SFCS awards in 2021 because I was like, man, it could compete there, compete there, compete there. It's also got a really excellent dub. Um, this one is a dub, not like Zheng Xia uh, that I was talking about earlier, where it feels like it was filmed. This is clearly like a dub. Netflix will play the dub automatically, but it's serviceable and it didn't distract from watching it in any way. And I think what's cool, Coles, is that there are like six language options for this movie. I don't know if Netflix does that on every single movie that they have. But the fact that there's that much accessibility to me is a bonus because it just makes the movie, like I said, more accessible for viewers. If you are turned off by watching a two hour and 15 minute long space epic and having to read the whole thing, don't listen to it in English and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Whatever makes you the most comfortable, watch the movie that way and, and experience it that way. So I'm not kidding when I tell you that it has the grand scale of Star Wars and it has the eyes wide, giddy, excitement generating effect of like a disaster blockbuster. And I think that it is the best of either type of those films that I have seen in years. Yes, it is better than the last couple of Star Wars films, in my opinion, uh, for me. I absolutely love it. This thing hit me so hard. Space Sweepers on Netflix. Please check it out if the things that I have said appeal to you in any way. Um, you saying that this movie being better than the last two Star Wars, you're like that that's a big vaulting. Uh, I, know, <laughs> I know, right? It's like a low bar. But I, yeah, I, a... I didn't, I didn't want to get crazy and be like, because <laughs> I really like Force Awakens. I don't think I would like, you know. And I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily either put it in there and be like compare these movies because this doesn't have space wizards and you know laser swords. But <laughs> it's more sci-fi than sci-fantasy, I think. But it is. It's so good. It is just my point being is if you like space epic movies like this is an amazing one and one of the few amazing ones we've gotten in the last decade or so. And it's absolutely worth seeing. So there you go, listeners. Uh, three recommendations plus three new movie reviews. Hope you enjoyed all of this stuff. Uh, that's all for us this time on FF Plus. We hope you found something that piques your interest and we would love to hear what you think when you see the films that we discuss. So hit us up on Twitter at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic or join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link in the show notes. We'll be back soon. Until then, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.